Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When is the last time you've seen him? Well, what, four years back? He had to have meant four days. He did not mean that he hasn't seen his kids in four years. It sounds bad, but there's a lot more to it. Do you get to FaceTime them and stuff? No. No contact. Oh, she caught my whole family out. I cannot imagine going four years without seeing my baby. No contact, but that's not for lack of trying. They're acting like it's not a big deal. He moved to America to provide a better life for his family. This is a big deal. Am I, what world am I living in? everyone welcome to another episode of everyone's business but mine with me cara berry vanderpump rules and real housewives of beverly hills edition y'all know that i want to get this vanderpump rules recap over because you know that i'm chomping at the bit right now y'all know that what i just watched on beverly hills was some bullshit so woo, girl let's get into it so vanderpump rules the big James proposal episode. Now, maybe my memory is off here, but I felt like it. they were pretty far into filming when James proposed. And we're only on episode, what, three or four? Are we nervous? <laughs> I'm worried about the lack of content. Um, interesting. But anyway, we're in Palm Springs. The whole family's there. Charlie's in bed with Buffy, her, you know, poorly eyebrowed 
a beautician doll and she's talking to her boyfriend about how she barely remembers the night before and the conversation that she had with Lala because she was too focused on a two prong situation here. The first prong being everybody's lip liner was fucked up. And then the second being the paranoia of perhaps her lip liner is also as messed up as everybody else. So she doesn't really know what happens, but you know, she's feeling good, feeling good. (laughs) Um, Today is the day of the pickleball tournament. Randall's trying to make it a thing, but also so are a lot of other people. Like why? I feel like I heard about pickleball just few and far between, but then in the past like year or two, it's been coming out fast and furious. And I need like, who's behind pick big pickleball. Is it the same people who are doing squid game is squid game going to be, or is pickleball going to be a squid game part two? All great questions. Uh, according to me, but I don't care. I don't really don't give a shit, but thank you. I guess to Randall, because this gave me like just entire sections of the show that I didn't have to talk about because who, who gives a shit anyway. Um, next we see, uh, Katie and Tom in bed there. Katie's trying to talk to Schwartz about being more assertive and stepping up to the plate and like, I don't know, wearing not open toed shoes all the time in a confessional. Tom raises a question. Of do I respect Katie's opinion? <laughs> Which is maybe about the funniest thing he's uh, ever said since clearly the answer to that is no. You know? It's like me asking if, gosh, do I respect Melania Trump's opinion? Ah, something to ruminate on. You know? We all know the answer. We all know where this train is going. And that's a big, a big, <laughs> last stop, Noseville. He does not give a fuck about Katie. What is wrong with them? What's right with them? I don't have time. Um, Tom talks about, like, do I respect Katie's opinion? I don't know. I just don't want to be steamrolled by Katie about being steamrolled by Sandoval. So Schwartz tries to say that he doesn't really care about what it looks like. He doesn't care that people think that he's a limp dick. People don't care. He doesn't care that people think that he's a flop. He doesn't care that people think that he's just constantly failing upwards with Sandoval just dragging his tie-dyed shirt behind him. He doesn't care about what it looks like, you know? What he cares about is the execution. And by the execution, he means... Sandoval executing everything while he, you know, uh, gets Cheez-Its out of his teeth. Y'all, at one point later, it was like every interaction between Tom and Katie, and I encourage you, if you guys want to watch this back, this episode back, just watch every interaction between Tom and Katie is that of two teenage brothers. (laughs) It's like they try to outgross each other. They try to... uh, say and do things that are not attractive. So when Tom was talking about how he had had Cheez-Its by the bed and Katie was later like, yeah, that's some like, that's like a real drunk move. He said that he woke up with a mouthful of Cheez-Its and he just kept chewing. This is why I say that Tom Schwartz is going to like, I know it's morbid, but like he's number one on my Bravo death watch list because how you fall asleep with a, a mouthful of food, my guy, and you still had to chew it when you woke up? Choking hazard. Choking hazard right there. Yikes. Also, 
so unattractive. Like, you could see whatever wilted little bit of attraction that Katie had just left. Maybe we're, we gotta be in the negatives at this point. It's just like, it was just like, oh, I can't do this. I don't like it. And that's disgusting. You could just see a little part of her die. And a little part of me went with her. And now we're in heaven with her pucker and pout website. <laughs> her next scene, we have Sheena. Sheena and Brock, or at least Sheena thought she was in Brock with, with Brock because she was having a conversation about her milk supply and talking to quote unquote Brock about how they're going to be good for the week. And then she looks over and realizes that Brock is gone. Not only is Brock gone, Brock has been gone for an hour because he wants to practice really hard for this pickleball tournament. Now Brock has probably done more sports in the past week than Schwartz has done in his entire life, and yet he feels the need. Like, let's really think about this from a visual standpoint. Brock is about to go up against Randall and Tom Schwartz. And he felt the need to practice for an hour beforehand. Now, granted, he did lose. (laughs) That is fair. He did. He did lose. But it's also like, sir... What are we doing here? What are we even doing? To the surprise of nobody listening to this, like I just said, I don't give a shit about pickleball, but what I did care was about this argument between, well, not really an argument, but this like passive aggressive conversation happening between Brock and Sheena. Now I told you guys, if you guys listened to my episode with the Arthea Nora at the, the reality is podcast, you will know that I said The golden rule with Australian men is that you have your fun with them. You have your fun with them and you let them go. And this is not what's happening. And now poor Sheena is saddled up and embabied with this man who doesn't deserve it. He really should have been boomeranged back to like uh, New South Wales or is that New Zealand? Sorry, you guys. (laughs) I know there's a certain contingency of you guys who live in Australia that listen to me. So no disrespect to you guys, none whatsoever, because I know what you like. I have, I've had my experiences with plenty of Australian men. So I know from which I speak. Okay. These guys, they come here in droves. Like it's fucking fleet week. Um, these Australian guys, they come in the summer and it's just like a hot mess. It's a hot mess. So, Anyway, don't have a baby with an Australian man. Anyway, um, so when everybody arrives at the pickleball court, field, diamond, whatever, um, Sheena makes a comment about how, gosh, well, Brock, I really hope you do win because you basically left me with the baby all by myself this morning. (laughs) So, thanks. And then they start getting into getting into it about how her mom. So the deal is that Sheena's mom is caring for summer moon, honey Davies in a, uh, you know, a nanny like fashion, right? Sheena tells us that she does pay her mom, but her mom doesn't want the money. It's a big thing. Like she really doesn't want to get paid, but she said she'd do it for free, but she's getting paid. Right. So it appears like Sheena and Brock have very different ideas of what Erica, Sheena's mom's role is. Brock seems to view her as an employee and Sheena 
views her as her mom that she's paying begrudgingly, right? So, yikes, you guys. Yikes. So we find out that Erica's in Palm Springs helping to watch the baby, but it's also her birthday weekend. And Brock is basically just like, he... Literally, it's like Downton Abbey with him. Like, he does not care about Erica. He clearly has no stakes in her emotionally. Um, he doesn't even seem to view her pleasantly, like, as an acquaintance. Like, even as the, your favorite bank teller. He does not seem to fuck with her at all. And this, to me, should be red flag number one for Sheena. Like, it's one thing... I know that a lot of people find themselves in situations where they don't get along with their partners parents or there's some tension here but like i feel like brock is choosing to make this a shitty thing between he and erica and that's truly like a really big red flag brock makes some comment about how you know there was a 3 a.m or 4 a.m feeding and why don't you just pass her off to sheena's mom for those middle of night feedings but Sheena's trying to say, like, okay, it's her birthday, and, like, yes, she's here, but it's her birthday, and I'm trying to take some of the responsibility off of her. So then Brock is like, well, maybe we should get a night nurse like Lala and Randall have, but in a confessional, Sheena's like, listen, I'm just not the type of person who is into having excessive around-the-clock care because I want to raise my baby on my own. So the pickleball segment also had another highlight, which is that it allowed me to make my salmon for my Emily Mariko salmon bowl that I'm going to be making next week or next tomorrow, actually. So, you know, stay tuned with that. That really offered me a lot of time to take it out of the oven, let it rest, you know, cool down, see what's going on. I checked my phone a little bit. So, um, yeah, I guess I, um, I think Randall ended up winning shocking. Um, and Raquel looked like Doug funny. Now you guys, I don't want it to seem like I'm making fun of Raquel. First of all, I love Doug. I think it's a great children's programming. And it's not my fault that she chose to wear the exact shade of green sweater vest and white. And the comparisons were simply uncanny. And I was forced to make them. But again, it's not I'm make, not making fun of her. I think Raquel is just the sweetest little angel baby that ever did exist. <clears throat> So then everybody gets back to the house and they play a round of Jenga and it's the Jenga where it's got dares on the blocks, right? So Sandoval pulls out a block first, said to make up a rhyme. Now the, you know, in my mind, white guy rap, white guy doing a rap, white guy doing an impromptu rap is something that I can't take because I suffer from like extreme second hand embarrassment. Can't do it. So had to, uh, fast forward but unfortunately for me I did not fast forward quickly enough because we find out that Sandoval accidentally drunkenly the night before pissed on his stark white faux fur jacket <sighs> I, I don't know why like, <laughs> I've exposed myself to a lot of things in my day I don't know why this made me want to vomit so bad, but like it did. So I really can't talk about it and we got to move on. At one point Raquel had, or Lala had to put on the, the piss jack. No, I can't. I can't. Next block, James uh, pulls out a fuck, Mary kill. Obviously he chose Raquel to marry and he's looking around for the fuck and is like, well, 
I did fuck Lala, so I guess I'll have to go with her. And poor Raquel. She said that she just felt like, you know, it's uncomfortable for her to be reminded that she that Lala and James used to have sex with each other. They used to sleep together because in her mind, Lala's way more confident than she is. And then Raquel pulls out a block that says, make a toast, make a speech or whatever. And she starts to choke up a little bit and she can't think of things to say. And it gets a little awkward. And she's kind of like standing there smiling, like, and everybody's looking at her like they some people are picking up on the fact that this is a thing for her some people are like girl get it together it's not that big a deal and i i really really felt for her i really did she manages to make a little bit of a speech but then she gets like choked up a little bit and then she tells us in a confessional that she's It's never been easy for her to speak in public in front of a group of people. And that's why she got into the pageant world to sort of help her out of that awkward phase. So then later, Sheena and Brock are hanging out with the baby. And Erica, Sheena's mom, comes out. And it's like, oh, you know, because the baby's like fussing a little bit. And she's like, oh, I heard the baby. I wanted to come out. And Brock, how I forgot to ask you how that pickleball tournament went. Did it go good? Gosh, I really hope it went well. Like, was it worth leaving early? Was it? (laughs) And just that perfect mom shade where she's trying to be sweet as pie, but she's really reading you for filth. And in a confessional, Brock says that the tension between he and Sheena's mom is palpable. Yeah, didn't have to tell us. And then he says... He describes their relationship as an employee-employer relationship, but that Erica is opinionated as fuck. Now, does does Brock not understand that, like, it's entirely common for moms like grandmoms to care for the child and also that this is Sheena's mother so she's not really your employee you know first of all Sheena said that she pays her mom she didn't say that you did she said that she does okay secondly I'm just trying to think of like my friends whose parents watch their children having their husbands call their mama an employee of theirs. Like, I'll be damned. No, that's weird. And it's rude. That's your baby mama's mama. That's about to be your mother-in-law, bro. Employee? Ugh, yuck. So Sheena now has to navigate between the two of them. And she mentions to Brock again that it was her mom's birthday and not exactly under his breath. Brock says, yeah, but it's her job. Ooh! In a confessional, Sheena says that Brock and her mom don't get along and they butt heads all the time because her mom's a Taurus and because Brock is a Gemini. No, it's because Brock is an asshole to your mom. If this is... If this interaction is indicative of a typical interaction between the two of them, I feel so bad for Sheena. I, ugh, ugh, I don't like this. 
And I feel like I didn't see anybody talking about how weird this is. Because I know that first, everybody thought Brock was really cool or really good for the show or seemed like a nice guy or whatever. I don't know, y'all. I don't know. I don't listen to her podcast, but I've heard several things about how people feel like Um, Speaking of steamrolling, that Brock tends to take the lead and talk over her and really try to guide the conversations as though it's his own show and it's Sheena's. So, mm, I, this is weird. I think this is incredibly weird. And the fact that he doesn't seem to see how this may come off, ah, yikes. So then Erica takes the baby from Sheena and then Sheena apologizes to Brock for being in a bad mood because he went to bed before she did and he also got to sleep in later and he also left her in the morning. She's apologizing to him for being in a bad mood for reacting to his shitty behavior. Brock's response is that it's not his fault that he got to go to bed earlier because she before going to sleep was pumping and taking her makeup off. And then he like very condescendingly is like, Oh, well, should I make, take your makeup off? Because I can't do the other part. Like basically putting all the onus on her. And then Sheena was like, okay, well, is it necessary that you had to leave early for practice for pickleball? And he says, yeah. And then Sheena says, well, I think you didn't even remember that it was my mom's birthday and that her back has been bothering her. And I mean, Sheena, last week he didn't even remember it was your birthday. So definitely wasn't remembering Erica's. But then Brock says, it sounds like you're just frustrated with everything. And then you're associating all of your frustrations with me. (laughs) And I don't want you to think that I'm abandoning you. Now this sounds like a hit dog that is hollering. You know, that we find out later that he has been on this merry-go-round of abandoning his family and his children before. And I think that he probably manipulates Sheena into thinking that he was a victim of his ex-wife leave or you know, like cutting off contact with him and the kids. And I think he kind of uses like, oh, you think I'm going to abandon you? So she could be like, oh, no, no, I don't think you're doing that because you were the good guy in this situation with your last family. <laughs> so, no, I would never say something like that. I, I I just saw a lot of warning signs with this conversation and it really darked me out. I did not like, Sheena did not have to apologize for a damn thing. A damn thing. And then she says, she starts to get emotional And she says, well, I think it might just be my hormones. And then Brock rolls his eyes and is like, ugh, if I have to hear about these hormones one more time. You will hear about these hormones until Summer Moon is 27 years old if I have anything to do about it. Like, you, shut up. Ew. I can't. Anyway, later, everybody's taking shots. Somebody decides to pressure Raquel into doing a toast for their shot. And you can hear, like, Ariana and a couple other people be like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. Like, don't feel it. Like, don't put the pressure on her. But they're like, no, no, do it. And she's like, um, I'm like, you could tell she's just grasping at straws. And in a confessional, Raquel says that once she knows that there's pressure for her to speak in public or speak to a bunch of people, it's like her mind just goes blank, completely brain dead. 
And so the only thing she can really think to say is, I'm just like so happy that James is here. Cheers, right? You can tell she gets a little bit upset, but she's, like, trying to keep it together. And then she tells James, like, hey, I just need a little break for a second. So he's like, okay, I'll go outside with you. And she starts to get upset about having to speak in public. And James is like, yeah, and I know you've got this, like, stuff from your pageant days when you were asked a question that you weren't prepared for. And she's like, no, it goes back a little further than that. Like, back in school, I wouldn't offer to... You know, like, I wouldn't raise my hand to speak in class. And I just think that that took a toll on my confidence even today. So James tries to cheer her up and saying that she doesn't have to be that type of person forever. They can work on it. And Raquel says she feels like being around somebody like Lala <laughs> is you know, somebody who she perceives to be as super confident and believes everything she's saying is intimidating for her. Now that cracked me the fuck up because I don't think Raquel knew that she was reading Lala to filth and like shading the hell out of her by saying, <laughs> like, Lala believes everything she says. And she says it with such confidence. <laughs> you don't have to go, you don't have to swing that far off of the pendulum says like, don't it's okay, girl. And then she says that she looks at Lala and she feels jealous sometimes because Lala feels like she's so important. <laughs> Listen, because she's not wrong. The problem is that she is not wrong. Lala does have a wealth of self-esteem. No. She has a wealth of what is perceived to be self-esteem, but is actually just like her glaring insecurities and I wish somebody would tell Lala that or excuse me that Raquel that and Lala too that what Lala thinks is coming off as confidence is actually annoying and trying to be this alpha when you're not being an alpha is not like who cares you know <laughs> like it's not really that big of a deal in terms of people respecting you like y'all know what I mean like it's not that like I'm not an alpha and I do just fine and I navigate my world perfectly happily nobody bothers me nobody says that I have to be an alpha nobody says that I need to speak up probably because I have a podcast that I do four episodes a week on but if I didn't I would still be fine. I, I don't think people would dislike me because I was not presenting alpha female behavior. But Lala really seems to think that this is like of the utmost importance and that she has to good fellas her way through life. And like, I just wish somebody would tell her no, no. So anyway, then Raquel starts to cry and she tells James that, James tells her that the only way to get out of this box is to push yourself out of it. And Raquel's like, don't you think I've been trying to do this, trying to get out of this box my whole life? Why aren't you embarrassed to be with me? Sweetie, <laughs> that broke my heart. Like, I'm going to even take out the absolute insanity that it is to ask somebody like James Kennedy why he's not embarrassed to be with her. Um, probably because you're the prize. Uh, oops, I said I wasn't going to say it, but I did. Um, but 
goodness. <laughs> it just makes me so sad for her that she would go through life feeling like people would be embarrassed to be around her. That's so sad. Sweet thing. And like, I would be curious to know, I would be curious to have somebody ask her, if you feel like your partner's embarrassed by you, like, how are you able to have an enjoyable relationship if you feel that way? You know, it must be exhausting. It sounds so exhausting. Anyway, I just feel sad for her. In a confessional, James says that, you know, he doesn't really need Raquel to be Lala. And he even tells her, like, you don't need to say everything. Like, leave that to me. I'll do it. I'm fine. (laughs) You know, I'll ask people if they're pregnant. I'll ask people if they've been working on their summer bodies. I have no problem calling Max a fat prick via text. Like, let me shoulder that and you can just be your beautiful self right james says in a confessional that these are the moments and these are the times where he really like it solidifies the fact that he wants to marry raquel because he only in this moment like wants to make her feel better Mm. that really makes me like him a lot more anyway aside from the proposal i gotta say the best part of the episode (laughs) was seeing this like very short throwaway clip between Ariana and Sandoval. It was just like a very me thing um, of them finding a bug in their bathroom. Ariana telling Tom, like, you don't need to do this. I can do it myself. Like I have no problem. And then immediately screaming and saying it touched my finger. (laughs) And I get that. I get that. Um, Then, countered with the fact that we see Schwartz telling Katie that she has a little bit of a Karen haircut, which she does, and I know she wants to be mad about it. It's Karen chic. I mean, it's not like a full Kate Gosselin, but it is Karen-like in its nature. And in a confessional, Katie's like, does Schwartz ever want to get laid again in his life? And it's like, yeah, yeah, girl. Like, do you want to specify? You, you might need to specify. Does Schwartz want to get laid in his life? Yes. Does he want it to be with you? TBD. <laughs> so then Schwartz starts talking about how he doesn't want to be seen as a pushover. And in that moment, Sandoval walks into the kitchen. So Schwartz is like, okay, I'm going to start this speech that I need to have a Tom. But his speech starts about how he's going to be empowered and not be a pushover. And then he points to Katie and says, she thinks that you're trying to steamroll me. (laughs) That's not how he said it, but it, it was very preschool, very kindergarten. Katie's response is, don't Oko Yono me. (laughs) Okay, girl. He won't because that's not possible. Um, so Sandoval looks Schwartz in the eye and says, okay, I need you to be direct with me. And then Schwartz says, well, I just feel like you've steamrolled me. It kind of seems like a little, I felt a little bit steamrolled. It's just giving shades of steamrolling. Like I just don't want to be steamrolled. And that's exactly what's happening. He said steamroll like seven times in a row. And Schwartz, Sandoval's response is, I'm not steamrolling you. (laughs) And then Schwartz says, oh, well, I feel a lot better. (laughs) And I can't even like, normally I would feel badly for somebody in this situation, but 
Schwartz created this scenario. He has created the environment in which you tried to say how you really felt by using some person to say it to the other person. It didn't work out. And now look at you. You look like a fool. So, sorry. Anyway. Um, even though it kind of seems like Charlie is, like, on this vacation by herself, we only... We have not seen her interact with anybody this episode. <laughs> I did love the moment where she's by herself, staging the house to clear it of dumb bitch energy, and then staging herself. So she's not a dumb bitch as well. And I feel like... You know, we've seen a couple instances of Charlie uh, filming with other people, and I'm I'm excited about that. We saw that little showdown between she and Lala, and I'm excited. But I'm also, like, if we just want to do Charlie by herself, if she want to get her, like, a web series or YouTube uh, playlist situation where she's just walking around the house by herself, I'd say greenline it, you know? Can't be any worse than the Bradshaw Bunch. So then after that, Sandoval and James, everybody gets in the pool. Sandoval and James decide to take a run, a.k.a. uh, go check out what's happening at the polo fields for the proposal. Are we, we're supposed to be letting, like, Tom and James have this weird kind of father-son, older bro, younger bro relationship. Are we supposed to be led to believe that Sandoval actually paid fully for James's proposal? And that he paid over 50, like, it seemed like maybe $60,000. James didn't spend any money. He spent that much money on a proposal. More money than most people spend on their weddings. And we're supposed to believe that production didn't pay for that. But okay. Okay. Even for Sandoval, it seems excessive. So, the big scene... I have to say of the episode was Brock and Sheena going over to Lala and Randall's Palm Springs house to have the babies have a little bit of a play date or whatever a play date is between two children that aren't even old enough to lift up their necks. I don't know. So it starts off with some conversation about changing diapers and how good Brock is at changing diapers. And Randall mentions that he only changed his first diaper the week before. Now, Granted, that is wild that Randall said that, considering this is not his first child. Uh, And I could not help but agree with Sheena when she says that she wants a partner who's, like, way more hands-on than Randall. And that she does not think that it's cute that he said that. And it's not, like, a quirky little anecdote for her. I I get it. Like, I'm thinking and I'm hoping... That we're moving forward and progressing in our stance about men's role in their children's lives. And she's right. Like, that's not cute. Even if you guys have all the money in the world to have a day nurse, an afternoon nurse, an evening nurse, a night nurse, a 5.45 to 7.15 p.m. nurse, I don't care that's your child. And I know that like, is it really going to be like the end all be all that you didn't change a diaper? No, but I think it's also just the refusal to do it. Like, what's your reasoning? Do you think it's gross? Do you think it's so gross? Like grow up, grow up. 
So after this, Brock starts to talk about his history with his own children and how he had his first kid when he was 20. And in a confessional, Brock says, and this is a, mm, give me like 89% direct quote, that he and his ex had two beautiful kids. They split up. And then she felt like Brock abandoned the kids by moving to America. So she moved on with the kid's stepdad, who then fulfilled the role of being a dad for his kids. Now, he says this in a way that is just like, yeah, whatever. Like, he points it all on her. By her, I mean his ex-wife. And it's just like, well, she didn't like that I was in America, so she found somebody else, and she found a new daddy for my kids, and now that's his role now. It just seemed very like, nah, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Just like, whatever. Like, that's normal. So then, Sheena reveals that Summer and Brock's other daughter, Winter, have the same birthday. (laughs) Randall's response is, oh my god, that's crazy. Lala's looking around like the lady with the math equations around her, just like, what? Uh, You could tell she's wants to be like, what the fuck did you just say, Brock? But she can't. That real push-pull of, I don't want to hear any more of this, but I also want to hear everything. In a confessional, Lala says... Okay, this is like if Randall had another kid and then named the daughter Lake. Like, I would be pissed. Wouldn't you be? That's an emotional mind fuck. (laughs) So then Sheena tells Lala that Brock's ex got pissed about the name Summer. Acting like, can you imagine? Like, how ridiculous is that? She didn't like it. But then she's like... I like how dare she because I wanted to name that I wanted to name my daughter Summer since I was 16. Thank you to the VPR uh, production crew, editing crew who immediately showed that time in Sheena's Rob Rob Rob's Valletta era saying that she and Rob had decided on a name and that was Madison Marie Parks Valletta. <laughs> Also, shout out to whoever runs the Madison Marie Parks Valletta Instagram. It's so funny. (laughs) So then Randall asks Brock, when was the last time Brock saw his children? And Brock says, what, like four years ago? (laughs) Huh? Lala and Randall's jaw drop. And you know that's a really hard thing to do because Randall barely has a jaw to begin with. In a confessional, Lala says that she... She's like, surely he meant four days, not four years, right? That's not possible. So then we get these like side to or like back and forth confessionals between Leela, Sheena, and Lala. Sheena says there's a lot more to the story. Lala asks Brock to his face, Do you at least get to FaceTime your kids? And he's like, No, 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 nor contact, nor contact. (laughs) And, um, Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Brock says that this ex-wife cut the whole family out. So then we get back to these confessionals between Lala and Sheena. 
Lala's completely flabbergasted about how you could possibly not speak to your child for four years, children for four years, and how Sheena and Brock are acting like this is not weird as all, and it's not a big deal. And Sheena's like, well, it's not like for lack of trying that he's not able to communicate with them and that he came to America for a better life. Now... Like, is the fitness industry in Australia so high or so hard to get into or not lucrative that moving to L.A. would have been better? Because I feel like in Los Angeles, you can't throw a vegan donut at somebody before you find, like, seven personal trainers. So, what? It's not like he needed a job in a field that is specialized or better in America. I don't really, he just works in fitness, right? Like what? (laughs) I'm just confused. Like he's acting like he left a third world country to come to America for better opportunities. I think the opportunities that Brock was looking for were opportunities for Brock. Like I just don't, I can't imagine that he would be making that much more money doing CrossFit in Santa Barbara or whatever, Santa Monica, Santa anywhere, than he would be in, like, Brisbane, like, Sydney. And it doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) And another thing is, I can understand... I can understand anybody being pissed about your partner leaving the partner that you had kids with leaving the country. But if you genuinely felt like if you believed what they were trying to sell you, which is that they could have a better life, they could have better better opportunities that you could make more money and send it back. Then at some point you get away with that or you get over that and like let them do it. And it's going to be hard and you're going to be pissed at times. And I get that because you're going to be a single parent. But if the other parent is doing what they're supposed to be doing, then mm, I feel like she probably would not have just cut off contact with not only you, but your entire family. Something in the coconut milk is not clean in this. And mm. Brock then says that he felt like, in his words, he was a badder, B-A-D-D-E-R, a badder husband, because he felt like he did abandon his family. And he just felt like he needed to accept the fact that he had been cut out from his children's life because he moved to America. You absolutely don't have to do that. You chose to do that. You chose to do that. Mm. Okay, so the group heads to the Coachella fields. They have really no idea where they're going. They're very confused. They know that they're going to be having this, like, Coachella-themed party. They're under the impression that because Coachella has been canceled for the past two years, that it's going to be an our cella, an O-U-R cella, not knowing that it's actually our cella, as in Raquel right? So they're all confused. They're like, where the hell are we going? Suddenly they realize that they're actually on the Coachella fields and they start getting so excited. The place looked really cute. looked really well decorated. They had uh, photography. They had food trucks, margarita trucks, balloons, a place for 
James to DJ at because Lord knows this is probably as close as he's going to get to DJ and Coachella. Um, the whole works. Everybody's having a great time. I gotta say it's really hard watching these scenes of these kids like dancing and stuff because we obviously we're not hearing the music that they're hearing and so having to see them like rock out to canned music (laughs) just really jarring and it really takes you out but anyway um james takes raquel aside and he takes her to this other part of the field and it's got ray cella it so r-a-e cella right um so he explains to her that this whole thing this whole situation was not for the group it's actually all for her and he does this usual you know usual spiel about i love you i can't wait to live my life without you blah 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 and it genuinely (laughs) james gets down on one knee and opens the ring box and i you would tell in raquel's face that i honestly (laughs) y'all sweet thing i don't think she realized that he was actually proposing to her until he got down on one knee and said will you marry me (laughs) so um god bless her i i really i really love raquel she obviously says yes they both look super happy did i cry mind your business i don't have to answer that question um, but there was some salty discharge emanating from my eye sockets. Um, a bunch of fireworks go off and everybody else notices the fireworks and they're freaking out. They're like, what's going on? And Sandoval tells them that James just proposed and they're all like, oh my God, what the fuck? And everybody's so excited. Katie looks like she was about to cry, <laughs> which is very strange because she barely likes James and I really don't think she likes Raquel either. So, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, happy for them. Happy for them and their their union. Ooh. Anyway. <laughs> I just completely blanked out. I think that's the end. All right, let's move on to Beverly Hills. Someone told me that you said that I should have never brought race into this show, that this show is not that kind of show. And that Really, if that were the case, me. you should have come to me and asked me that because oh, I did please, not Oh, please, there's so many that. other things you guys don't come to me and say directly. Yeah, but that's a big one. No, that's a that big one. That's a big one, one Garcelle. And Garcelle. I would never say that, by the way. I don't know that. Okay, you guys, I hope you're as Herbie fully loaded as I am. Ooh, this was rough. Now, I know that I said that I do not believe that this reunion is, <coughs> excuse me, was worthy of four parts. And I still believe that, but they had a strong first episode and I do appreciate that. Do I appreciate what happened in said episode? Absolutely not. So let's talk about it. So the episode begins with Erica going over to, or excuse me, Lisa going to over to Erica's house two weeks before the reunion. They're just two girls chatting, just two evil demons talking shop with one another about how... Oh, people kept asking me, Erica, if you were going to show up. And I said that you were. Why wouldn't she? And and Erica's talking game about how there are going to be some winners and some losers and <clears throat> how it was going to come up at some point in the reunion that Lisa had reached out to Erica and told her that the girls had flipped on her. Now, presumably those girls are Dorit and Kyle and... 
I'm so excited. So excited about that. This might be the most interesting thing that I'm looking forward to. The thing that I'm most looking forward to in this reunion. Even though the girls have been talking a good game, talking about how, like, even Garcelle and Andy mentioned on Watch What Happens Live afterwards that Erica was able to respond to and answer 98% of the questions that Andy asked, that Garcelle, direct quote, said, Andy, you understood the assignment, and you really went there. And I don't know if these are just two professionals, you know, two working people in Hollywood who don't need relevancy, Dorit, doing what they know how to do naturally, which is promote the show that they're, you know, making money off of. But uh, I guess we'll see. Only time will tell. Truth and time tells all, as one Justin Bobby said. And ashamedly, I would like to admit that the quote, truth and time tells all has become one of those things where I made fun of it because it was just so stupid. But the more I think about it, it's like an earworm for me. And I'm like, wow, he actually was really right. (laughs) And that's, you know. I should delete this, but I'm not going to. Anyway, let's talk about the episode and just pretend I didn't say that. Um, So everybody in these Twitter streets online has been talking about how in the preview for the reunion, Erica looked a little bit rough. But you guys, I think once there was a stark contrast between the, you know, pregame ladies getting their hair and makeup and glam done looks and when they got on the stage those lights were too bright and I don't who did that the lights were too bright and I think the set design did not really help the situation the colors not a great look guys not a great look um but anyway I just love during the intro when Andy's you know hello Dorit hello Sutton hi Crystal it's your first reunion Wow, those pants really took off, didn't they? We should put them in the clubhouse. And then he immediately goes to Sutton and asks her about her ankle. (laughs) And I think Kyle's like, oh, you should put your boot in the clubhouse too. And Andy was like, no, (laughs) definitely not. The thing for me about the ugly leather pants is not so much that they're ugly, which they are. But it's just the face and the pose that she made after Sutton said that. It's just so weird. (laughs) And that's what really tickles me about it. Lisa, you know, has to talk about her 25-inch bundle ponytail. She really, for years, and I let her go last year about this, trying to make her naming of her hair pieces and wigs a thing, This year, she's really leaning into it, and I just feel like nobody gives a shit. I don't think that even the most ardent Lisa Renestan cares that she calls her yakky ponytail Priscilla. Give it up, girl. It's not going to happen. Like, I would literally rather watch a whole docuseries about how Harry Hamlin makes his bolognese. Like, legitimately. I don't care about your hair, girl. So anyway, um, the set was designed to look like Kathy Hilton's backyard, which, you know, the iconography and the the impact, I don't need to get into it. You see it. You see the proof. 
The proof is right there. Um, Erica's vibe was off immediately. So Andy, you know, just says his traditional hi. Hi, Andy. Like, she she really got some, like, like, she was annoyed with him. Andy asked her if she slept well. She's like, why wouldn't I? I slept great. <laughs> okay. She says she's looking forward to closing this chapter. <laughs> Which is like, that's very bold. <laughs> Uh, okay, what chapter... How would you describe this chapter? If this is... Lord. She irked me. She really, really irked me this this episode. I, like... Looking forward to closing this chapter. Close it. Close it, girl. Are you going to close it by opening up your bank account and paying these victims back? Great. Then close it. I I cannot stand her. Um... She, y'all, y'all, y'all know, y'all saw her wearing that cross necklace, right? And if you saw that and didn't think in your mind, huh, that seems like some strategery, you were wrong to do that. You should have really leaned into that because I, girl, come on. Andy asks Erica what the biggest misconception about her was this season. And she says it's the fact that people find her to be cold. And then she says that she's in an almost impossible situation. And then, you know, she wants anybody who has been wrong. She wants them to be made whole. And so Andy says, are you talking about Tom's victims? And Erica says, yeah, Tom's alleged victims of his alleged crimes. The alleged victims. Girl, all of these people are victims. Like there's no... What do you mean? That poor guy has burns over 80% of his body. Alleged? Look at him. (laughs) What do you mean? Look those children who don't have parents in the eye and say that they are alleged victims. She's a monster. Uh, She... I didn't care about this. This felt like very coached, very running game with my team of lawyers before this reunion to see what can we say to give us, give the appearance of an ounce of empathy. And this is literally the best she could do. You guys, this is the best she could do. We really have to think about this. She has had time. She has hired people to coach her. She has had time to think about this herself. She has had time to gauge audience responses. She has had time to go through social media. She has had time to look through the thousands of people, I'm sure, who have told her themselves how how would be what would be a good way to respond to this a way that gave the empathy because i think people will understand if you say which she did to be fair there are a lot of things that I'm not going to be able to say. I think that is a completely fair thing to say. Like, I'm not going to nail her to the cross for that. Um, with that being said, <sighs> she's just had so much time to prepare. And this is really the best she could do. And that's really scary to me. Like, it's weird and it's uncomfortable and it's, I don't like it. She's not doing herself any favors. I know that. I'm just preaching to the choir to you guys, but my God. Ugh. So after she says 
that these are Tom's alleged victims. She says, it's important that people hear that from me. Yeah, it is. Because now we know exactly who you are. Um, So then the editors show a montage of clips of Erica centering herself anytime somebody brings up Tom's victims. And Erica says that people have their own perception of what she was doing, but they don't know the history and the things that she went through. And then she says that her reaction to watching the season back was disappointment, sadness, and then some love and support. (laughs) I wish we, he had asked her to expand on that. Like, who are you disappointed in? What are you sad about? That would have been even more telling. Mm. Anyway, um, so Andy mentions uh, Sutton speaking to a lawyer with regard to the Erica stuff. And Sutton clarifies she didn't speak to her lawyer. She spoke to a friend who happened to be a lawyer, which exactly which was exactly what Kyle did when she spoke to Faye Resnick's husband. And then Andy asks if anybody else spoke to a lawyer. The only person who spoke up about it was Crystal, who did admit. Yeah. I spoke to him with the, I spoke to my lawyer with the direct intent to see if I could be implicated in it or anything. But her excuse was that this is the first time, this is my first season on the show. I signed a contract. I'm, you know, associated with you because of it. And hey, I also talked to my lawyer about a lot of things. So I thought she got away with a lot. I feel like nobody held her to account on the very strange and weird things that she said uh, this episode. And I, mm, interesting, interesting. Um, I think I'm giving up on Crystal. I think I'm done. Andy asks Erica if her lawyer suggested she get off the show this season or if she had ever thought about it. She says yes to both. And, but she ultimately was like, no, not going to do it. And she said that she decided to stay because she wanted to honor her commitments <laughs> and that she's not a quitter. Like, okay, nobody, I'm sitting here talking about housewives and I can tell you, I don't need any housewife that badly that I feel like they need to honor their commitment by being on the show. If it's not a good look for you, or if even your nails chipped that day and you're just like, you know what? I don't really want to do this anymore. I don't want to be on the show. Then leave. Honor your commitments. This isn't the army. (laughs) Then Andy brings up the fact that there have been a lot of us calling for uh, Erica to be fired from the show. And she's like, yeah, no, (laughs) And Andy's like, well, what do you mean? No. (laughs) So she says that she hasn't been charged with anything and that people aren't allowing the legal process to play out as it should. And that she should basically like, she's a fucking warrior. Okay. Who's going to fight through this and see it through. I was going to make an Arab Rockovich joke, not even thinking at first that that was like a full circle moment. Oh, my mind. Anyway. um, So the first housewife clip package we get is, for Sutton. And I have to admit that this whole season, I had been quietly to myself rolling my eyes whenever Sutton mentioned that, you know, I'm coming out of this divorce, a stronger woman, and it really took so much out of me. And I'm just so much happier now. I really was like, girl, like, shut up. Until I saw her divorce settlement and saw that she gets $300,000 a month for the rest of her life. And that's just one 
in a list of dozens of things that she got out of this divorce. And I thought to myself, girl, I'm with you now. You came out of this and you are a champion. So kudos to you, bitch. Good job. My ass would constantly be on like a vitamin drip for how often I was just crying constant tears of joy over the fact that I divorced a man and became a multimillionaire just because of that. Bitch, she won. She really won. (laughs) So, um... Then Sutton starts talking about, you know, how great her life is now and how her business has grown, wait for it, excrementally. (laughs) Sweetie. Okay. Just maybe... (laughs) Maybe get a, just get like a really nice edition of Webster's Dictionary. Just like the best hard copy that you could find. You can afford it. Get like the one with the gold embossment, the whole thing. <laughs> Excrementally. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, and then she kind of mentions that Lisa had thrown some shade her way about her store. Lisa. <sighs> This was the first thing that, like, really pissed me off. She tried to act like she didn't know what Sutton was talking about at first, but then she immediately gave herself away and said, what what do you mean? Like, something I said in an interview? Or what did she say? Um, She said, what did I say in an interview? (laughs) Sutton did not mention that you said it in an interview. You knew. Because you knew what it was. You knew when you sat your, like, Joker by Elton John, green-looking ass on that chair, watch what happens live, in those white aviators, creep shades, that you had talked some shit about Sutton. And she basically said, like, oh, I don't think Sutton has anything. Like, I don't think she has a business. Like, yeah, she has a store, but that's not a real business. Now, this is stupid, But here's my other thing. It's like, Lisa, how dumb are you? Do you think that we don't remember that you also had a store? What do you mean? Like, you had a store for years. Was that not a real business? What was the point of trying to shade? Like, y'all gotta be better about shade. You can't shade somebody and yourself at the first, at the same time. You know? Prince once said, once said in an interview, the interviewer asked him, You know, like, how do you respond to people trying to play you? And Prince said, I don't get played. Because if you try to play me, you play yourself. And that's exactly what Lisa was doing. She was trying to play somebody else, and she ended up playing herself in the process. And, you know, as much as this episode sucked and as necessary as it was, or as unnecessary, no, excuse me. (laughs) As much as this episode sucked, it was a necessary episode because... Lisa and Dorit showed their tiny, flat asses the entire time. Erica, too. Crystal, as well. And I appreciate that because they showed everybody who they were. And so now I just know not to fuck with any of them. Now there's no gray area. There's no black and white. I got it. Not fucking with any of them. Didn't like that I had to hear it. Didn't like that I had to experience it. But you know what? The message is loud and clear now. Like, am I in the market for like a wicker, natural wood chandelier with a monkey on it? For several reasons, 
absolutely not. Um, but it's a store. It exists. Fuck off. Like, she's such a hater. She's such a hater. And I think I said last week, like, I really do not like to throw around the jealousy word, especially when it comes to, like, how women navigate their experiences with other women, just because I think it's cheap most of the time. Like, it's just, like, an easy thing to say. But Lisa Rinna is so jealous. And it just, like, it's just seeping out of her. With, especially with Garcelle, but with Sutton, too. And it's just, ugh. Yuck. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we all know, when it comes to everyone's business, I like to mention it all, but when it comes to mine, I like to keep things a little bit closer to the chest. But that method doesn't always work when it comes to your mental health, and we all need a way to purge and get it out. Therapy is a safe space to do that and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down by learning positive coping skills and all the tools you need to help you be the best version of yourself. BetterHelp is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So you can just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash everyone's business today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash everyone's business. Then we move to Sutton moving into her house and whatever. (laughs) I mean, she paid $5 million and did not change those parquet floors. And that felt like a real choice to me. I'm not paying $5.3 million and living on a, a parquet floor. Never. I really have a thing against parquet floors. Now I have to say, who cares? You guys don't care. But like, I don't hate all of them. It's just that like very specific one in the dark color. I don't like, I don't like, I don't love parquet floors. I really just don't. And and they just feel, it's not even like that they seem cheap to me. I just don't, I don't like them. And so to me, it's like millions of dollars. That would have been the first thing to go. Because they don't add any charm. Anyway, never mind. You guys do not care. <laughs> I'll spiral about this later on my own time. Of course, Kyle couldn't wait to complain or like half, you know, be, um, to quote Dorit, to be passively provocative about um, Sutton's tenure at her house and how, you know, we had to take it off the market because we had to do some work because 
Sutton almost burned the entire house down because she didn't use the right fireplace. And it's like, well, that might be on you a little bit. So she had the picture on that re- on the ready, just ready to go. It was probably her damn home screen. So she could so- show anybody at any given moment. And she was just like delightful. Just absolutely just places punch <laughs> to to expose Sutton as some sort of arsonist. Like she's fucking Paul from 90 Day Fiance. It, it was weird. But I guess that was her only other storyline. So I guess other than being like fucking Streganona just stirring the pot all damn season. I'm glad we got that out of the way because I this they oof, much like the wigs naming they just try to make this like mr roper three's company thing try to happen with sutton and kyle don't care like we need a land a landlord storyline in 2021 read the room you guys come on and then we move on to the next segment which is mm, kind of about garcelle but mostly just about her issues with lisa and dorit so just before we get into this i want to say that Kyle, how do I say this? I don't really care for Kyle, and I think that's very clear. I think a lot of bad things about her behavior this season. I think she hides her hand. I think she shit stirs. I think she brings shit up when she doesn't need to, etc., etc. However, I do think that she is, out of the white ladies on this cast, the most understanding when it comes to race relations. Now, do I think she's a great ally? No. Do I think she's, like, the worst? Of course not. But I think that Kyle has an understanding. If if she's not... I mean, I've seen her say things that I'm like, okay, that resonates with me and I appreciate her saying that. What I'm trying to say is that I think Kyle gets it. She doesn't always express it, but I think she gets it the most. And I also think she has the greatest understanding of the audience and their reaction. And I think she takes it in clearly a lot more than the other (laughs) women do because she really took a shift in those uh, confessionals halfway through the season. Didn't she makes you think, but I, you could tell it was written all over her face. Thank you. God to the cameraman and the editors who made a point to gauge Kyle's reaction with a lot of things because she said nothing. And she said a lot all in one little look. The first moment when this became apparent to me was when they showed the clip of Garcelle having her breakdown, talking about race and asking what should have been a rhetorical question of like, have you guys ever been in a situation where you've walked into a room and felt like the outsider? Of course, Kathy was like, yeah, I I do. I have felt that way. And then Garcelle had to be like, okay, well, okay, Kathy, like try doing that your whole life. So they had this whole picture in picture of Kyle showing when they showed that clip, not of Garcelle, (laughs) not of Kathy. Well, Kathy wasn't there at the time, but they didn't show Garcelle's reaction. They showed Kyle and you could he- see Kyle mouth the words like, Oh, Kathy, <laughs> because she knew, she knew she understood that that was just not the right thing to say. So it starts off kind of positive because Andy asks Garcelle if anybody on the cast reach out to her after her breakdown in Del Mar. And she says, 
shockingly that it was Lisa and Dorit who reached out to her and spoke to her after the fact and that she felt like she was able to kind of get deeper with them and able to open up to them in that moment. So then that's about where the positivity starts and, and ends. Dorit then says that Garcelle was somebody that she immediately felt a bond towards. I don't know, probably because she looks like her mom's best friend or whatever, but then she starts to call Garcelle passively provocative. And then we find out why she keeps using this term, right? So she says that Garcelle doesn't really give people a chance to defend themselves or respond. And that in Delmar, she saw a different side to her. And because she was showing that vulnerability and that was really real and raw. But that's not really what Garcelle is usually like. Because she's used to her being, again passively provocative almost to be relevant or interesting <laughs> excuse me bitch <laughs> time the fuck out now garcelle said uh let's just make one thing clear i don't have to do anything to be relevant let the record reflect but even if she hadn't said that i think it's time to let the record reflect shall we and just audience i think it's maybe time to settle in okay because i'm gonna go through every single credit that garcelle has on wikipedia i'm doing it here we go okay we're gonna start in 1986 the year that i was born 35 years ago is when her career began dorit um she did a movie called Manhunter, 1988, a movie called Coming to America. Ever heard of it? Probably one of the most popular movies of all time, certainly in the black community. Like, if you have not seen it, then you don't get to be a black person kind of shit. Iconic landmark movie. Anyway, 1994, Every Breath. 1999, Wild Wild West. Okay, um, 2001, Double Take and Bad Company. 2002, she was um, on a movie called Second String. Barbershop 2, American Gun, I Know Who Killed Me, The Cure, Women in Trouble, Eyes to See, David E. Talbert, Suddenly Single, Flight, White House Down, Someone to Love, Small Time, Girlfriends Getaway, um, Back to School Mom, A Girl Like Grace, Girlfriends Getaway 2, Okay, that's a sequel. Seven Days, You Get Me, Spider-Man Homecoming, yes. Garcelle Beauvais is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I barely know what that means, but I know it's a big fucking deal. Uh, Lalo's House, and then another banger of a sequel, Coming to America, the second one. Okay, let's go to television. Miami Vice. Thank you. Um, the Cosby Show. I mean, let's move on quickly, but still iconic. Um, Family Matters. Down the Shore. Dream on. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Ah, she was all up and down. TGIF. Killing the bitches all the time. Okay? Thank you. Dead at 21. Models, Inc. The Wayans Brothers. Jamie Foxx Show. Fancy. Fancy, Arliss, Opposite Sex, Titans, NYPD Blue, The Bernie Mac Show, an incredible show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Life with Bonnie, Eyes, 10.5 Apocalypse, CSI Miami, Women in Law, Maneater, Crash, 
Thank you. Human Target, State of Georgia, Franklin and Bash, The Exes, Psych, Arrested Development, Necessary Roughness, Playing House, The Mentalist, Grimm, Hell's Kitchen, Hollywood Today Live, The Magicians, Chicago Med, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, The Arrangement, Power, Siren, Middle School Moguls, Mary Happy Whatever, Tell Me a Story, Carol's Second Act, Sugar Rush, The Real, as a co-host. At the very bottom of this list of 35 years is The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And after that, she's got something coming up this year called The Prince. Okay? Now let's just take a mosey on over to Dorit Kemsley's uh, Wikipedia. Let's just uh, click career. Oh, this is a very small little pop out here. Um, Kemsley developed a swimmer line, Beverly Beach, excuse me, Beverly Belch, and a bridal line, Nectaria. She's a current cast member on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. That's it. Just breezed right on through that. Didn't even have to take another breath before I finished that. So. So anyway, Dorit was talking about how Garcelle does things to be relevant or interesting. Just making that clear. I don't know if Dorit's pearl dress was like fucking up her equilibrium. I don't know if the collar... The high collar is cutting off the circulation. I don't know if maybe in the other three languages that she speaks that uh, relevant means something very different than what it means in English. But I need some answers to the question as why you would say that Garcelle the Beauvais, who has had a four decade long successful career and then decided to grace Andy Cohen and Bravo Television by going onto the show, being a bad bitch, being beautiful, giving us fashions, being a little bit of a pot stirrer in a very funny way. Okay, um, pot, m- modeling for Vogue Italia. Do you guys understand the impact? They don't just do that to everybody. They're actual like. Successful working models who could never get on Vogue Italia. And she did a whole spread with several different outfits. And that means a lot, okay? It does. Whew, she's going to make me fight somebody. So, <laughs> then Dorit tries to say that Garcelle was trying to be manipulative, pretty much. Essentially by taking swipes at her and, you know, when she confronted Garcelle, she tried to turn it around to make it seem like Dorit was the problem. Okay. And then Dorit brings up the fact that she used the word bully in reference to Garcelle at Lisa's lip party. And Garcelle says, yeah, I need an apology for that. But then Dorit's like, well, you haven't been giving me the opportunity to apologize to you. Um, Okay. What have you been doing in the several months since you filmed that scene? What have you done in the couple months, at least, since you saw how the audience reacted to you calling a black woman a bully? But now, now that she's slightly interrupting you, she hasn't given you the opportunity to apologize. Okay. Then Dorit tries to get off on a very slim technicality of, well, there are elements of your behavior that are bully-like, you know, like one element is the fact that your behavior is incessant. So then Andy 
cuts in is like, okay, well, Dorit, I guess just me and all of America are wondering why you never referred to Erica as a bully when Erica has gone after you, Teddy, Eileen, other people. And don't you think that maybe by calling Garcella bully, that maybe you're painting a picture of Garcella being an angry black woman? And Dorit was like, well, that's a very layered thing. But I was never trying to paint the picture of Garcelle being an angry black woman. But, no but, there should never be a but after that. She also wants to reiterate the fact that there's an element of bullying and that element being incessant. Now, she's mentioned this twice in a very short period of time, which some people might call incessant. Um, But what Erica did to those several people, herself included, were isolated incidents, but... What Garcelle has done has been several things over a period of time, which might also be, to other people, isolated incidents over a period of time, just like you described Erica. Um, So then Dorit goes on to say that she never intended on using the word bullied. It was just words, (laughs) but... Another but, Garcelle has a tendency to say things in confessionals and not to people's faces. And this is where Lisa decides to uh, chime in. And she's like, oh, yeah, you do do that. And Andy's like, you all do that. And Lisa's like, we do. We do. But she does it the most. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, girl. (laughs) Like, we all murder people. But she's a serial killer. So... Dorit, again, tries to say that Garcelle doesn't say much in the moment. And Garcelle rolls her eyes and is like, okay, so now I say too much. And now you're saying I don't say enough. And I just feel like I can't win with you guys. Andy then mentions that Dorit um, says that she will want, she'll tell Garcelle that she wants her to be more direct. But then when Garcelle is direct, she describes what Garcelle is doing as throwing jabs. And then Dorit starts to get a little bit of an attitude with Andy and is like, well, you know, there's are not really the same things. When you have an issue with somebody, you tell them you have an issue. You don't just throw passive aggressive jabs with a smile. Andrew. Bitch, do you know that your contract doesn't have to be renewed? What are you giving, girl? What are you giving? Anyway. Um, so then Garcelle mentions something about wanting to grow. Like, don't you feel like if somebody tells you something over and over about yourself that you might want to take that in and grow from that? And Erica's like, not me. I'm too old. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's let's submit that into the courts, please. Read the room, sis. Jeez. Anyway, Garcelle goes back to her point and says that all she said to Dorit was that she talks too much. But then Dorit goes for her integrity by calling her inauthentic and a bully. But then she says, which you did just apologize for calling me a bully. So I am going to let that go. And I'm really going to let that go. And Lisa is like, oh, that's great. Oh, that's so nice that you're going to let this thing go. That's nice. And she made sure to say it a few times so that Garcelle really heard her. So then Garcelle says, like hold on you'll have your moment we'll get to you next you know and lisa looks her dead in her eye and says i'll do whatever i want don't you tell me to do anything okay thanks (laughs) 
So Garcelle says, I can do whatever I want. And Dorit and Lisa both are like, well, so can I. So can all of us. Kyle's eyes get so wide that the color contact in her left eye, like, shifted off track a little bit. Shocked. Lisa then looks at Garcelle and says, you don't tell me to do a thing. (laughs) I would have pulled Priscilla and I would have just dragged her from one, one of these fake plaster of Paris statues to the other, all up and down Kathy's fake back backyard. Don't try me, girl. Don't try me. The level to which Dorit and Lisa just felt it completely okay to talk to her and use the tone that they used to her, like she was a child at times and like she was dumb at other times and like she was a dumb child most of the time. I I would have popped the fuck off. Garcelle has the patience of a saint. For some reason, Andy then asks Crystal how she feels. And Crystal mentions Garcelle saying in a confessional that she had not heard of Crystal before meeting her, but she had heard of her husband, Rob Minkoff, and how offended she thought that was, which was bullshit. Bullshit. Given the whole reason why Garcelle said, I had not heard of Crystal was because, Crystal, you were having a whole kiki about how you didn't know Sutton, she doesn't run in my circles, and went even so far to say, hey, if uh, Sutton behaved like this in the circles that I run in, her ass would be back to Augusta. But you now feel some way because Garcelle said that she didn't know you? But she knew your husband, who works in the same industry as her? And you don't have a job, right? (laughs) So why would she know you? But why, like, you can't say that about Sutton and then feel some type of way when somebody says the same shit about you. Like, (laughs) girl. (laughs) See, this is why I'm like, why does she even, you should have just sat there and ate your food. Like, you didn't even have to say anything. Why would that be offended, offensive to you? You started it. <laughs> and I feel like Garcelle wasn't even that shady about it. She was just like, oh, that's weird that she would say that because I didn't know her either. But, you know, that's not like mean. That's just fact. You know, <laughs> not all things are shady. Sometimes they're just true. So Dorit says... That was not the incident that she was referring to, but it turns out that she was referring to that same night um, in which she starts to talk. Garcelle says, speak, starts talking over her and Dorit screams, let me finish Garcelle. <laughs> Bitch, again, I would have taken one of Kyle's many Janice Ian hair clips and just put it directly in her cornea. That, like, that's just how it's going to have to be. That's just how it's going to be. I, I've been watching Squid Game all week, so I'm feeling just a little bit violent. But I'm done now, okay? <laughs> the camera cuts to the other couch's reaction. So Kyle, Garcelle, and Sutton's reaction. And it was, like, art. Like, Kyle's so shocked, her mouth is dropped, like, Home Alone style. Garcelle looks 
shocked, but more upset and hurt by what she just heard and being yelled at. And Sutton is making a face like somebody just farted directly into her mouth. Like she is completely disgusted. Lisa starts to laugh and ain't nothing funny over here, bitch. Okay. I don't know what you're laughing at. Her lips looked worse than ever. I tend not to body shame people. Yes, I do. But they look really bad, right? Real bad. Not a great advertisement for Rena Beauty. Okay. Anyway. Um, so, you know what really chaps my ass? Like, this whole mean girl stuff. Like, I didn't like when Crystal and Kathy were talking about how, oh, they didn't know Sutton and what they'd be doing or how she'd be treating if she was running in their circles. And I don't like this, like, Lisa being making these passive, passive aggressive bullying, actual bullying remarks of like, mm, oh, that's nice of you finally letting something go, Garcelle. And just like the laughing behind her back. And it's just very like seventh grade of girls who make you feel bad for no reason just because they think it's fun to just like, oh, let's whisper in each other's ear and then laugh when they look at us. You know, like mean girl shit. Grow up. Then Dorit reveals that her actual issue was that when everybody was at the table talking shit about Sutton, Garcelle in a confessional said something along the lines of, I don't understand why they're talking about Sutton like this. Don't they know that I'm team Sutton? And so Dorit's issue was that in the moment, she felt like Garcelle should have said to them, hey, that's my friend, and I don't really like the way you're talking about her. The interesting thing about Dorit wanting to dictate what Garcelle did in that moment was that Dorit was not even there. (laughs) So she is now holding some sort of grudge against her because she didn't kind of stick up for Sutton, but then did in a confessional. This is what she's upset about. This has nothing to, like, nothing to do. And this is now the second point where Dorit has now been upset with Garcelle for a situation that she was literally not even present for. The other thing being when Garcelle um, unknowingly talked about how Tom calls Erica still. And Dorit was so upset, like, I can't, I can't imagine why you would do that. Why would you expose Erica that way? Why? And then we had to, like, exhaustively go over and tell her, Dorit, over and over again, that the reason why uh, Garcelle said that is because she was not aware that she should not have said that on camera. So, again, another situation that you weren't even present for and has literally nothing to do with you. You're mad at Garcelle for how she reacted in a moment that you weren't even present for and that you weren't, that doesn't involve you. It doesn't make any sense to me. Are you mad? Like just, you just, she should just tell the truth. What she should tell the truth is that she has been pissed ever since that rental beauty party in which, or whatever party that was, in which Dorit tried to say one thing and then Garcelle exposed her and said, that's not what you said. That's not what you said. With regard to being supportive of Erica. 
this is all this is coming from. And clearly, it's never been more clear to me that there was a conversation that was had prior to filming or and also during filming between Dorit, Kyle, Lisa, and Erica. And I'm sure at times they let Teddy be in the group chat as well. It is so clear to me that they are like trying to run game and like I don't watch Big Brother okay I don't need these like alliances behind people's back and y'all are like looking stupid defending shit that doesn't need to be defended and going against the person and I've seen a lot of people saying like oh we should let the housewives be housewives like we shouldn't expect them to get along and we you know you guys wouldn't be happy if they were getting along with Garcelle. Like, it's okay that they have arguments. Of course it's okay. It's the way that they're going about it and the way that there's really no reason for any of them to be upset at her. If you guys are going to be upset at her, like, she says shady comments. When she asked Erica what her her sex life is with Tom, given the age difference... Um, she's asked a couple of shady things and that's okay. But if you're going to go after her, go after her for things that she's done to you (laughs) and go after her for like things that make sense. Okay. At least go after her for things that you were present for, you know, (laughs) you're upset with her because she didn't say something about sudden and then, and then did it. it. It wasn't even shady. That's so stupid. Andy then says, okay, I want to move on to Garcelle and Lisa, but, you know, where do you and Dorit stand right now? And Dorit says that basically it's in Garcelle's court, and Garcelle's like, yeah, okay. You know, I don't dislike you. <laughs> Which is the best that she could give her. And, and and I appreciate that. So, moving on to Lisa versus Garcelle, Andy asks Lisa if she feels like she's properly earned her friendship with Garcelle back. And Lisa says, I feel like I've done everything that I could. And I feel like Garcelle might have some expectations of me. So then Andy brings up the fact that Lisa threw Garcelle a birthday party and did a couple of other nice things and asks Garcelle, do you think that those were genuine acts of friendship? Or do you think that those were more calculated? And Garcelle's like, well, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Those were lovely things to do. I just don't trust her. And so then Erica asked Garcelle, okay, well, do you basically th- like have an opinion about Lisa giving up at some point? Because she might feel like she's done all that she can do. And Garcelle's like, yeah, fair point. And then Lisa says, well, I just feel like for whatever reason, Garcelle doesn't want to move forward. And I just have to take that in. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So now granted, there is like a, maybe a fair point to be made about like, if somebody feels like they've tried their hardest, like if you're in a situation where you have made amends with somebody and you guys have had the conversation about we're or I am going to be working towards earning your friendship back, right? There's a fair thing to say that I feel like I've tried. I feel like I'm not getting reciprocation here, and so I'm going to have to move on. But the other fair point is that 
it's not really up to you to decide that you've done the work or not because you've lost trust. Somebody's lost trust in you. And so it might not feel fair to you and you might feel like you've done what you can do. And that might be true. Like you have done all that you are capable of, but that might not be enough for that person. And so it's not really up for you to decide. You know what I mean? Like you doing hard work is subjective to the person who deserves your forgiveness. You know what I mean? So then Erica asks Garcelle if she's maybe trying to punish Lisa for the way Lisa treated Denise last year. And Garcelle's like, Denise can fight her own battles. I'm done with that. And so then Lisa brings up the fact that Garcelle did bring up like, hey, maybe you should consider making up to Denise or reaching out to her at the finale party. And that she found it confusing that Garcelle had gone four months not mentioning Denise. And then she mentioned at the last moment. Okay. um, Okay. I'll give you like half a point for that. I guess it is strange. Is it a reason to be mad at Garcelle? No. (laughs) Confused? Sure. Annoyed? Okay. Mad at her? I don't think so. Um, So then Garcelle says, you know, I'm going to, Lisa's like, when are you going to let it go? Garcelle says, I'm going to let it go right now. And then Lisa starts screeching like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And, And then she points her finger at her gnarled little finger at Garcelle and says, and I hope I never hear about that again. Okay. You're the one who like slut shamed sexuality shamed got somebody off the show now i would say that denise made a couple of missteps and she maybe could have been more honest but we also don't know what denise's dynamic is with uh her husband we don't know what her dynamic is with her sexuality and her relationship to her sexuality those were things that lisa did not deserve to like hold the torch on wanting her to be honest. Like you don't deserve, you don't need to nothing about uh, Brandy and Denise hooking up was deserving of Garcelle needing answers. And it certainly wasn't a situation in which Garcelle needed to run her off the show, which is what she did. So to tell somebody like, you better not bring that up again. Fuck you. Just think it's really interesting that Lisa thinks that she can make conditions on Garcelle and she's relationship and hers, hers, (laughs) I'm trying to finish. I'm tired. Y'all that she can make conditions on her relationship with Garcelle and how Garcelle responds to it. When you're the one who fucked up girl, you're the reason why she doesn't trust you. So why is she, she doesn't have to do anything to not talk about something or earn your trust or whatever. And if you don't like it, then like, don't fuck with her. Don't talk to her. But, like, she did not do anything to you. And, like, technically, I guess Lisa didn't do anything to Garcelle, but she kind of did. She kind of did. I don't know. Um, Anyway, where are we going with this? Andy asked Garcelle what her expectations were with Lisa. And she says, I really didn't have any, but I just felt like, you know, maybe there have been situations where Lisa could have set up for me at the um, lip stick party when Dorit and I got into it. I just felt like she could have said something. And Lisa was like, well, but I agreed with 
Dorit, so I would have never defended you. I would have never said anything because I didn't believe that you needed to be defended. So, <laughs> she's a bitch. She's a real bitch. Um, Andy asks Sutton how she feels about this, and she's basically friends with them. And Sutton says that she kind of feels like maybe she's a part of the reason why Garcelle doesn't trust Lisa because Lisa didn't take up for Sutton in that moment either. And Lisa had, interestingly, no response to that. Not a thing to say. So Lisa says, listen, if I had done something fucked up or mean to you, she's saying this to Garcelle, I would understand. And Garcelle says, well, somebody told me that I shouldn't have brought race into the show because that this show is not that kind of show. And that really bothered me. Kyle told on herself <laughs> the, the face reaction heard around the world which everybody, I didn't see anybody say anything differently. And it were all people that like are not connected who seem to have the same feeling, which is that Kyle's response to what Garcelle said about Lisa saying that, uh, you know, she talks about race on the show and, and that Beverly Hills isn't that kind of show. Kyle knew. Kyle had clearly known something about that conversation um, I want to shout to a shout out to my friend Sierra who texted me right before this, who said that she had heard a rumor. Now this is all alleged. Um, not like Tom's victims. This is an actual alleged statement that what had happened was that Lisa did in fact make that comment to Kyle. Kyle told Kathy and Kathy is the one who told Garcelle. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Kyle definitely, definitely to me made a face that was like, oh shit, didn't think this was going to come up, but here it is. And I would like, when is Kyle coming on Watch What Happens Live? <laughs> Soon? Because <laughs> I need daddy. Andy, oh, why do I call him daddy? Andy, please, somebody ask Kyle about that. Because one thing I know about Kyle is that she's not a very good liar. <laughs> So even if she lied, I'll know the truth. So then Lisa starts to get all pissed and says, you know, if that's what you heard, you should have come to me about it. And Garcelle says, well, there are a lot of things that you guys don't come to me about. And Erica says, well, yeah, but that's like a really big thing. And Lisa says, yeah, that's a big thing. And by the way, I would never say that. And Garcelle says, but I don't know that. <laughs> I have been there. <laughs> It's not just the distrust of of uh, of Lisa in general. It's also this. Clearly, Garcelle believes that this is true. Clearly, she believed. How do I say that? Clearly, she trusted the source. She believed what she was told. Um, I trust her source as well. <laughs> Lisa did ask her to say, you know call that person to the carpet who told you that. She said, I'm not going to say that, but I will send you some texts. Lisa then looks at Garcelle and says, you have it out for me. And I want to know why. So then Lisa and Dorit start tag teaming once again about how awful it was that Garcelle would say that. And Lisa asks, like I said, who was the one who said that Garcelle says she didn't want to say it. Then Lisa accuses Garcelle of trying to turn it around on her. And then she accuses Garcelle of lying 
and saying, well, that's not the reason why you have been mean to me all this season. This season. Like, that, that's not why. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> so you really think that we live in this world that Garcelle would just expose you as doing some racist, problematic shit to get you. That is so fucked up and irresponsible. I've said it before. I've said it again. Black people do not want to have to accuse people of being racist because that means that they have just dealt with somebody who is racist. And that is not fun. It's not something that people use as a get out of my responsibilities free card. It's not something that people say to try to nail somebody. It's not just like a fun little thing to be like, LOL, I heard you were racist. And just like set that fire and watch it spark. Like nobody in their right mind is going to do something like that. So to sit there and be like, you're a liar you're doing this because you're mad at me? <laughs> I mean, my God. My God. I could, I gotta tell you, like, like, I would imagine that the average, I don't want to speak for all black people, but the average person, if they had heard the thing that Garcelle heard from a source that they trusted, that they would have done the exact same thing that Garcelle did. There's no chance in hell that if I had heard that shit, that I would come to go to that person and ask them. Not a chance. Because why would I expound my mental energy and my mental well-being trying to figure out... And, and here's the other thing. The obvious second step to that is, if I come to you, am I really going to believe... Of course you're going to say, no, I didn't say that. Like... Like, why would I, I'm going to come to you. You're going to say you didn't say that. I'm not going to believe it. And then that's it. And so what, what good is that going to come from that? You know? So when Garcelle says, be real, if I had come to you, would you have told me the truth? And Erica and Lisa are like, yeah, well, you know me. Of course I would. You know, I would tell you the truth. No, she doesn't. She doesn't know that. So then, and I found this to be an interesting reveal. It is mentioned that something happened where Garcelle was on Watch What Happens Live and she made the comment of, 
I think that Denise, she was dropping hints that Denise wanted to come back on the show. But she said, but somebody is going to have to leave. And Andy says, are that person's, is that somebody's initials LR? And she just kind of like shrugs. Now, Lisa chose to interpret that as Garcelle saying that she wanted Lisa off the show. Which to me, when I saw that in real time, I did not interpret that as what Garcelle meant. She said, Denise wants to come back to the show, but somebody else would have to be off of it, denoting that Denise was the one who wanted Lisa off the show in order for her to return. Not that Garcelle wanted her off the show. Stupid. So apparently Lisa felt very strongly about this, strongly enough to call Garcelle and they had this conversation about it where, uh, I, I guess, according to, because Lisa could not um, back it, she couldn't walk out of that one. Apparently Lisa said a lot of things during that conversation and that Garcelle had to explain to her what she really meant and that only at that point Lisa said, oh, well, I guess I was in my feelings. So I'm thinking that based on that conversation and other things, that this is a reason why Garcelle would never come to her and ask her if she said something racist, because apparently she said a slew of um, disrespectful things to Garcelle. And so maybe that's probably, in her mind, not a bridge too far that Lisa would say something like that. So this makes all, all the sense in the world. So for anybody who had a question about Lisa and that whole situation, I get it. I 100% get in and I hope it made sense to y'all. So Lisa says, you know, I was in my feelings, but you know what, what you just did and what you just insinuated shows you exactly who you are. Yeah. Okay. Lisa and your reaction shows exactly who you are. So top that. Anyway, Garcelle asked the rest of the ladies if they were all okay with the fact that all of a sudden she was on the show. And very interestingly, I thought was Erica's response. She says, well, you do add a completely different perspective. So is the answer yes, Erica? <laughs> sounds like sounds like a yes. Okay. Um, Kyle's like, well, but your pers- that's real life and that's what's great for the show. But why would Erica's response to... Did y'all feel some type of way about me coming to the show being like, well, you do, you are different. <laughs> do you want to finish that sentence or is that the end? <laughs> Oof. So then Lisa says that she never said that thing. And that in fact, she wants an apology from Garcelle because she was happy that she was on the show. Okay. And then Garcelle says, do you really think that I, you know, would have, you would have said the truth. And like I said, Erica and, and Lisa said, yeah, exactly. Look who you're talking to. I would have. And he says, you know, I really don't know where you two go from here. <laughs> and Lisa says, why can't we move on? I don't know. Probably because of the conversation that we just had. <laughs> what? <laughs> so this commences the greatest bit of friendship theater that I have seen in quite some time. In which Garcelle has clearly, in my opinion, been like, I can't do this. Like, I'm... I don't have it in me to continue to fight with this idiot. So we're going to get here. You're going to come off the couch. You're going to give me a hug. Dorita's going to whisper the truth, which is that you 
Lisa just wanted to get off the couch so you could show off your outfit and not have this like come to Jesus moment. Let's be real. Um, and then you're going to hug her and you're going to say, okay, let's start over knowing damn well that you're not going to start over. <laughs> just, you're just going to do it to do it. And then I'm grateful for this moment because this began the shade between Erica and Doree. And I feel like people didn't really pick up on this. So Lisa and Garcelle say, yes, I'm, we're going to move on. And then Doree says, but Garcelle, are you really going to do that? Like, do you really mean it? Again, like, you're not in this, babe. You were not in this. But anyway, Erica turns to Dorit and says, like, chill. Like, you know, in a way of, like, she just said it. Like, let the moment be what it is. Okay. <laughs> and then Dorit turns to her and says, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> and then Erica says, shut up, bitch. <laughs> I also, and I forgot to mention this, the point where before they make up, Lisa tries to throw this like hail, hail Harry pass really of, you know, Harry Hamlin's been watching the show and he turned to me and said, is Garcelle okay? Because she really seems unhappy. (laughs) And Garcelle just had to roll her eyes and be like, stop it. Nobody gives a fuck about Harry. Why have we let Lisa think that Harry Hamlin has been exalted as this elder statesman of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? Like, we're having to clap for him every time he dares to show up for one event a season. We're having to, like, honor his tomato sauce and his pies. Like, girl, I don't care. Harry Hamlin has no stake in this game. And also another Kyle telling on herself moment where Lisa does to Garcelle, I love you, I do. And Kyle just bursts out laughing. It's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> she knew that was doing some bullshit. Anyway. Um, anyway, there is a short clip where Kathy comes on stage and they ask her like, hey, Kathy, can you recognize the set that you're on? Oh, it's your backyard. Okay. Um, That's really it. Andy asks her why after several years of like kind of showing up in the background of shows of episodes and seasons, why does she choose 11 years in to come on the show? And Kyle's like, because I pushed her. I believe that. Um, There was some like weird scene of uh, Kathy or Kyle justifying her, you know, one of her 12 nose jobs because she got hurt like Marsha Brady style on the set of Halloween and then talking about Halloween, like we're doing some sort of inside the actor studio about her experience with Jamie Lee Curtis. And then another thing where Kathy may or may not have sent a Michael Myers impersonator to Kyle's house before the reunion, but it was clearly filmed in a way that like, there's no possible way that Kyle just happened to just be staring at, at her phone the entire time from her walking out of her house until she just happened to look up to Michael Myers standing right in front of the door that she's about to... Like, come on. What are we even doing? We don't have to do this with Kathy. Kathy gives us gold without even blinking. We don't have to set this shit up. Anyway. Andy then turns to Erica and they start, you know, let's talk about the husband segment, right? So first he mentions how... Several seasons ago, when Erica wrote her book, how she said at the reunion that Tom hadn't read it yet and how weird he thought that was and how defensive Erica got in response. And then he's like, 
And if that wasn't weird enough, when you were in Chicago, you mentioned in another reunion that Tom didn't come. And flashback to her saying that Tom was supposed to come the last week and that, you know, obviously got shut down because of COVID. So Erica says, yeah, I can't really defend him not coming to New York because I didn't know this at the time, but I found out later that Tom was actually in D.C. and he didn't even bother to come to New York City. So... Then Andy asks Erica, like, why didn't you leave sooner? If you knew that Tom was cheating, why didn't you leave? And Erica says that the cheating was just a part of it and that there's a whole lot else to the story. Yeah, <laughs> it's about 25 million a whole lot else is in your LLC. That's to the story, but okay. Um, but then she tries to, like, shift it, the conversation and says that she told Tom, that if he was in love with somebody else, then why not just divorce her and move on with your new bitch, right? So he said nothing in response to that. And the episode ends with Andy asking Erica if she was faithful to Tom. And that is our cliffhanger for part two. Who? I'm hoping that I come out of the rest of these episodes less emotionally exhausted than I did this one. Fingers crossed. Not too hopeful. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. If you're able to give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate that. Love you guys. Bye.